Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. So what we've been doing, at least for the majority of this series, is, is simply discussing how to create that space in our lives so that rest can happen as a result. So we talked about the Sabbath, which is virtually setting aside an entire day of rest once a week. We talked about silence and solitude, which is setting aside moments of time throughout our day to rest. We talked about digital discernment, which is reevaluating our relationship with our phones and our devices so that we don't squander time on those things that could be devoted to rest and slowing down. So really everything we've done in the series so far is, is simply about creating this sort of uninterrupted space in our lives away from the hustle and the bustle of everyday life where rest can happen. That's what we've been trying to do so far. But today, as we close out the series, I, I want us to shift gears a little bit and talk about how we can find rest right in the midst of our day-to-day -day life. N not what we do when we press pause on life as usual, but how we rest while life as usual is still happening. Now, here's why I think that matters, to do that, to have that conversation. As good as a Sabbath day is, as good as silence and solitude is, as good as time away from our phones is, believe it or not, I don't know if any of us haven't tried that, but as good as that time is, the reality is that those sort of uninterrupted moments in our lives for rest don't make up the majority of our lives. Unfortunately, we cannot just spend the majority of our life sitting in complete silence with a Bible open on our lap. That's just not how life works. Rather, we spend the majority of our lives doing normal life things. So if we want to become the type of people who regularly experience the rest of God, and I hope most of us who are followers of Jesus do, then we're gonna have to figure out a way to rest in Jesus within the everyday rhythms of life, not just when we can set life aside for chunks of time. Does that make sense? So today, I want us to talk about how to do that. How can we rest in the reality of who God is, even in the midst of our everyday life and normal rhythms of life? And to do that, I think we have to start by understanding some things about God's presence. And that really is what Psalm 139 is all about. So I'll just read our entire passage. I'm going to read verses 1 all the way through 18. And then we'll work our way back through some of it. So take a look with me at Psalm 139. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. 
Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will surely shine like the day. The darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake... I am still with you. Let me pray for us as we begin. Um, Father, we thank you for your presence. God, that despite um, who we are or, or what we've done or what we feel like we've done to not deserve your presence, that through Jesus you have given us your presence, that you are here right now as we gather. And so, God, I pray that through the words of your scriptures, through the words on this page, through the words that I've thought about beforehand, God, would you meet with us and make your presence known? Would you speak to us? Would you open our eyes to the things that we do not currently see? And God, would you be with us? Would you teach us about who you are in such a way that it changes us by your spirit? That's what we desire. And so, God, we ask you, to come meet with us this morning. In your name, amen. So this is a psalm, Psalm 139, at its core about God's presence. More specifically, it's about the location of God's presence. In the psalm, the, the psalmist jumps from place to place, location to location, situation to situation, and he just sort of marvels at the constant, everywhere, always presence of God. So in verses two through five, he talks about God's presence in every one of his day-to-day -day actions. He says, God, you're, you're present when I sit still and when I stand up to go, when I come and when I go, when I wake and when I sleep. Before I firm, formulate words in my mind and speak them with my mouth, you know what those words are already. He says, God, you hem me in behind and before, which is a way of saying that God's presence envelops him as he goes wherever he goes. The author sees God's fingerprints, God's presence and activity all over each of those things in his day-to-day -day life. And then he speaks geographically. So in verses 8 through 10, he says, where can I go from your presence, God? If I go up to the heavens, the highest of highs, you're there. If I descend to the lowest of lows, your presence is there as well. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I go to the far side of the sea, your presence is in each and every one of those places as well. And then he talks about light and darkness. Now here, he could be talking about literal light and literal darkness, as in, you know, day and night. Or he could be talking figuratively, as in moral darkness and moral 
life. His point may be that God can be found even when it seems like sin and injustice and hopelessness reigns all around us. And if that's not a word for the past year or so of our collective lives, I don't know what is, right? So he goes on to talk about God's presence from the very beginning of his life, saying, God, you created me. You knit me together in my mother's womb from the very beginning. God, you made me. God was present and active in his life then, too. So the point I think the psalmist is making in great detail and with great emphasis and with great repetition is this. God's presence is quite literally everywhere around us. It's everywhere. Theologians have often referred to this idea as the omnipresence. Omni meaning all, so the all presence of God. The entire world, top to bottom, beginning to end, from eternity's past to eternity's future, God is present in every bit of that. That's the idea behind Psalm 139. So put another way, that means that for you and I, God's presence can be perceived in every interaction, every moment, every experience, every conversation that we encounter. No square inch of creation is hidden from the presence and the activity of God. God is present in our morning commute. He's present in our interaction with the barista taking our morning coffee order. He's present in the news headline or tweet flashing across our device in the middle of the day. He's present on the elevator ride up to our class in the morning. He's present in the brief moment of quiet when we sit down at our desk at work when we arrive, if that moment of quiet exists for you, that is. Every one of those moments, every one of those interactions are opportunities to be attentive to the presence and activity of God. I think that's the point. Aaron Nequist, in his excellent book, The Eternal Current, that came out not too long ago, he puts it like this. If we are already fully submerged in the presence of God and the reality of the kingdom, then every moment becomes an opportunity to open our eyes and partner with God's present work of grace. I love that phrase, God's present work of grace. So while putting our kids to bed, we can partner with God's work in our kids or we can miss out. When we get into a fender bender, we can partner with God's work and the person who wasn't paying attention and hit our car, or we can miss out. When our boss overlooks or mistreats us, we can partner with God's work in and through the situation, or we can miss out. Every moment offers an opportunity to align with God's immersive presence and get swept up in God's healing activities in our lives and the life of the world. So God's presence is everywhere. God's activity can be seen in most anything. And we have the opportunity to borrow that language from Aaron Nequist to get swept up in it all. I once heard someone describe this ability, getting swept up in the reality of God's presence. I heard them describe it like having a sixth sense. It's, it's discerning the activity of God in our world. It's like having a sixth sense about life. It's, it's developing the ability to see things happening in our lives on the surface, to witness what's happening in front of us, but also to see through what's happening in front of us. 
see through what's happening to the presence and activity of God behind those things and in each of those things. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, It's sort of like this. Is anybody in the room old enough to remember WWJD bracelets? Yeah, a few people. I was nervous. We've got a younger crowd, so I was like, is anybody going to know what I'm talking about? Are they just going to stare at me like I'm crazy? So WWJD bracelets, if you're unfamiliar, were these cheese-tastic bracelets from like, I think the 90s maybe, 80s and 90s that you wore on your wrist, and they, were, you know, they had a, some kind of design on them, and then they just had the letters WWJD, and it stood for what would Jesus do? And the idea was that those bracelets were a reminder in every situation we were in, every interaction we had with people, every conversation, whatever it was, that we would look down and we would go, oh, what would Jesus do in this scenario? Now, I know people love to hate on things like that, I sometimes love to hate on things like that that are very Christian, subculture-y. But I'm actually not mad at that idea at all. I think that's a fantastic question to ask is what would Jesus do? I think that helps us remember that we're called not just to believe the gospel and believe things about God, but to actually live out the reality of what God would do, what Jesus would do in any circumstance. So I'm not mad at those bracelets at all, but I do think it's worth maybe functionally in our lives adding another question to that. And maybe this one is actually a good question to ask before we ask WWJD, and it's WWID. Wait, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's the right letters. What is Jesus doing is what I meant to say there. I, th- I think it's worth first asking the question, not what would Jesus do, but what is Jesus doing? What is he doing right now in this conversation, this interaction, this situation that I'm in? What is Jesus currently doing? Because remember from Psalm 139, God's presence is everywhere. God's activity is everywhere. He's already working and has been working from well before we step foot into that situation. And even well before we step foot on this earth. So the question we should be asking first is what is he doing already? What is he doing right now? What is he doing in this situation? What is he doing in my interaction with this person? What is he doing with my circumstances, in my circumstances, in my environments currently? What if we as followers of Jesus develop the habit of constantly asking what is God doing right now? Figuring out what Jesus would do, I think, starts with understanding that he and the Father have been working from eternity past, and we get the privilege of joining with that mission. And it is possible for us to live our day-to-day lives in constant awareness of all of that if we have the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it. Now, that is a pretty big if, right? Because the reality is that most of us, myself included, struggle to live that way, struggle to do that, struggle to be aware of that. There is a vast difference between knowing that God's presence and God's activity is everywhere and all around us, and on the other hand, being regularly dialed into his presence and activity all around us. Those are very different things a lot of the time. The latter is where many of us struggle, I think all of us know this, but I think it bears saying anyway, the problem is never God's presence. 
God's presence is everywhere. That's the psalmist's point in the psalm, right? Where can I go from your presence, God? The implied answer there is nowhere. God's presence is everywhere. So the problem is never God's presence in our life. The problem is nearly always our awareness of God's presence. I think Dallas Willard articulates this problem so well when he says this. I come back to this quote time and time again in my life. He says, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls, or we might say of rest. This is the fundamental secret of rest. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him, to God. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. So Willard says that the problem for most of us is that our default tendency as human beings is to, quote, dwell on things less than God. Now that is about the, most, the nicest way possible of putting that right? Next time you are just fuming at your spouse or your roommate and somebody asks you what's wrong with you, I would love for you to say, oh, I'm just dwelling on things less than God. Give me a moment. So that's a very optimistic way of putting it. That's a very positive way of spinning it. But what he means is that we get distracted. We sin. We fall short. We, we live large portions of our lives unaware of God's presence and activity around us. So when I'm on my morning drive to work, I'm not thinking about God's presence most of the time. I'm thinking about the guy in front of me going 35 and a 45, right? I mean, anybody else on that? When I'm with my kids, I am not being attentive to God's activity around me. I'm trying to keep our oldest son from hitting our daughter in the face with a toy sword accidentally, right? That's what my mind is on. When I'm washing the dishes at night at our house, I'm, I'm not dialed into God's spirit. I'm usually dialed into an episode of Designated Survivor on Netflix, right? I mean, this is just not how we operate in life by default. We're not by instinct always focusing on God's presence and God's activity in our hearts and in the situations around us. We tend to dwell on things less than God, in Willard's words. But I so love what Willard says next, how he responds to that reality, because I find it to be so incredibly hopeful, especially for those of you like me that struggle to set their mind and attention on God. And this is really the focus of our teaching today. He then says that being unaware of God's presence is, quote, a habit. It's not the law of gravity. In other words, it's not unconquerable to set your mind and attention on God. Yes, short of God's saving work in our lives and the Spirit's sanctifying work in our hearts, we will always live with an unawareness of God's presence. But with those things, by the power of the Spirit and through our habits, all of that can change. 
we can develop the habit of regularly being dialed into and attuned to God's presence and activity in all of our lives. In his language, new grace-filled habits can replace old ones. And our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. That is possible, and it just takes grace-filled habits. So really what Willard is saying is what we've been saying this entire series, all the way back to week one, that our habits, if we are willing to participate in them, can be used by God to shape the trajectory of our hearts. So you might feel right now like there's no way that you could have the presence of mind to be conscious of God throughout the day. You may be thinking to yourself, yeah, there's just no way that I'm going to be able to do that. Maybe you feel like it's all you can do to be conscious of his presence for 15 minutes in the morning when all you're doing is staring at your Bible. Or maybe you feel like it's all you can do to have your attention and your mind on the things of God for an hour and a half here on Sunday mornings. Maybe you just feel like, yeah, there's just no way I'm going to be able to walk through life and be aware of what God is doing around me. And hear me say, I know what you mean. I've been there. I still am there a lot of days. But at the same time, I want you to understand that's a habit, It's a habit that you've learned. It's not the law of gravity. In other words, it's not that we can't live aware of God's presence. It's that we can't do it yet. Do you see the difference there? So maybe it helps to connect it to something like running. So a lot of us right now could probably not run a marathon. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying in a room this size, probably a lot of us would not be able to just wake up tomorrow and run a marathon. Maybe even some of us, maybe I'm even in this category, would not even be able to run a mile or two without stopping. I don't know, haven't tried in a while, but I would bet I would struggle to do that, right? But at the same time, it's not that we can't ever do those things, it's that we can't do them yet. You realize that pretty much everybody who's ever run in a marathon successfully at one point could not run that marathon, right? So the only thing standing between you and being able to do that is practice, it's discipline, it's repetition, it's doing a lesser version of it time and time again on a regular basis such that you develop the ability to do more than you currently can. Okay, resting in God's presence throughout each day I think is a lot like that. It's not that you can't do it, it's that you can't do it yet. You just need the empowering work of the Spirit, and you need practice. I think this is precisely why Willard uses that language, practicing the presence of God. I don't know if you caught that. He actually borrowed that language, that terminology, from a guy named Brother Lawrence, who worked as a dishwasher in a French monastery in the 17th century. So there's a book attributed to Brother Lawrence, and it's just called Practicing the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence understood that the most vital thing for followers of Jesus to do was to learn to live continually aware of the presence and activity of God. But he also knew that to do that took practice, hence the word practice in the title. He knew that being dialed into God's presence and activity, it's not something that any of us do by default as followers of Jesus. It's something that we learn the ability to do over time. 
Now, I know that to some of us, all of this can feel, everything we've said so far can feel almost so big picture and theoretical that it's hard to know where to start with it all. Maybe it just feels so big that it's like, I don't know what first step to take. And so what I want to do is just give you some categories of places to look for God's presence and God's activity in your life. Hopefully this will kind of bring it down to ground level a little bit for you. This, was, this is far from an exhaustive list of categories. It would be impossible for me to make an exhaustive list of all the ways that God makes his presence known throughout our days. But hopefully this will at least get you started. It'll at least help you know some places to look for on a regular basis. So some categories of ways that God makes himself known. You ready? I'm going to go through these quickly. We'll put these slides uh, where we post the sermon online, so don't feel like you have to write them all down today. We're going to go quickly. Here are some ways that I think God tends to make his presence known a lot, at least to me. First, he uses circumstances to expose our sin. He uses difficulty to reveal our need for him. He uses other people to interrupt our self-focus. He uses conversations as opportunities to display and share the gospel with other people. He uses enjoyment to spark gratitude and worship in us. He uses pressure to motivate tough obedience in us. He uses exhaustion to speak encouragement and hope. He uses spare time to prompt prayer in our lives. He uses conflict to make us long for the peace that only he can bring. And he uses love to teach us the joy of quality relationships. Now, like I said, that's just a start. It might even be helpful for you this week to, to start with that list and make an extended list for you and just go, here are some ways I've seen God regularly show me his presence and activity throughout the day. But the point is that God's presence is all around us. It can be seen most anywhere in anything. It's just a question of whether or not we will look for it in our day-to-day -day lives. Every moment, every event, every interaction, every situation is an opportunity for us to ask the question, what is God doing here? Where can his presence be seen and discerned if I'm willing to look for it? So I want to just give you a few real life examples of this from my life. Just a few times in the past couple weeks where I have been aware of God's presence. Just to kind of help you see how simple this can be. Now, let me just give the disclaimer. I am far from an expert in all of this. In fact, I would argue that a lot of this is still a very new concept in my life. But I do feel like slowly but surely the Spirit has been giving me this sort of sixth sense that we're talking about to discern God's presence and activity all around me. So a few instances over the past week or two where I recognize God's presence. Example number one. Uh, so last week, um, our staff was processing through a decision <clears throat> that we had made and needed to continue to make, um, and then we were sort of talking about some things that had recently happened, the situation that had just went down, and I found myself in that conversation becoming more and more worked up over the situation and how I felt it was handled. I found myself getting irritable with the other staff members about how I felt they had handled the decision and were handling the decision. To where at one point, Sarah, who leads worship for us up here, she's also our administrative assistant, she just looked at me and she was like, Kent, are you mad at us about this? And I responded with, no, I'm not mad, I'm just upset, which is what people say when they're mad. Um, and so that was how I responded in the moment. 
But then her asking that question, it actually prompted me to just spend a moment internally asking the question, why am I angry about this? Why am I upset about this? And by asking that question, I was able to discern why it was that I was so angry. And it actually had nothing to do with our staff or with the situation or with the decision that we were making. It had everything to do with an insecurity in me. Had everything to do with a way that I didn't want to be perceived by other people. And so by taking just a second to ask Holy Spirit, what might you be wanting to do here? And, and it wasn't even so, I didn't like go into my office and shut the door and pray through it. I maybe could have, but it was just as we were having the conversation, just asking the question internally, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to do here? What are you up to here? He actually used that situation. He actually used the frustration on my part and it being noted by Sarah for me to take a second and process through what I was actually so upset about. So God uses a circumstance, he uses a certain emotion to expose something in my heart. That's the first example. Second one, uh, this one is going to seem almost silly to you, but it's just an example of how basic this stuff can be at times. So the other day, I walked into our house after running some errands around town. I think it was Monday or Tuesday, maybe. It was one of the days where the high temperature outside was like 34 degrees, like it's freezing uh, this past week. I walked into our house and just immediately felt like the 35 degree temperature difference wash over me. I felt the heat hit my skin when I walked into the door. And, and I just remember thinking to myself, how amazing is central heating? How amazing of a concept. Like y'all realize at one point in the earth's history, when it was really cold outside, it was just like, sorry guys, good luck, don't freeze to death. Or maybe you, you walk into your house and everybody like huddles around a fire and you have blankets around you and you just pray that you have enough firewood to keep you through the night, right? Like that wasn't always a thing. And that particular day, I was just amazed by thinking about the idea that while I was out and about throughout our city doing whatever it was that I wanted to do, that my house all by itself was heating every single room to a perfect 70 degrees. Isn't that amazing? Now, I will admit uh, a couple months back, our heat went out in our house, so I'm sure that's part of the reason that it was in my mind, but I just remember thinking to myself, how amazing is this concept? But the thing was, I didn't just let it stop with how amazing is central heating, it actually made me think, okay, how amazing is the technology that creates central heating, and then how amazing is it that God gave people the ability at some point in the world's history to invent this thing called central heating and to explore the, the details of how it works. I thought specifically about the heat technician that came out to our house a few months back and just all of the stuff he was doing with the circuit board in our heating system that he tried to explain to me and I just went, uh-huh, yep, that makes sense. Yeah, totally, the capacitor, I get that. Absolutely, I've been there before. And I just thought about how amazing is it that God gives people the ability to understand these things and invent these things and keep these things working, and it created gratitude in me for God just by thinking about the idea of central heating. I know that's ridiculous, but that's where my mind went. It was an opportunity to let gratitude for certain things in my life swell up and roll up into worship for God and the God that creates people who can make things like that work. All right, example number three. This is the last one I'll give you. 
This one happened while I was waiting in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru line, which is a pretty frequent occurrence in my life. I'm assuming it probably is for some of you guys too, because we're Christians and where else would you eat, right? But I was, uh, I was waiting in the drive-thru line and I was just watching, I, mean, I was at one of the drive-thrus now where I mean, most of the Chick-fil-A's have them where it's like they've got seven people out there in the drive-thru line and all of them have iPads and they're all doing different things and they tell you which car to follow after you order. And I was just watching all of this go down. And I thought to myself, man, this is impressive. Like I read somewhere, did you guys see the article last week that said that some state that is doing the COVID vaccination thing, they actually uh, requested the help of a Chick-fil-A manager to help them manage the cars going through the system. And I was like, that's brilliant. That's what we should all be doing right now. Everyone would probably already be vaccinated if we did that in every state. But I mean, I, I was watching all this go down in the Chick-fil-A drive through line and I was like, this is amazing. Like, I'm pretty sure you have to have like a master's degree in logistics to work in the drive through line at Chick-fil-A because it's just, it's magical to watch. And so I was thinking about all of this and I get up to the person who's taking my order. She's got an iPad, we're interacting. And, and I said to her, the first thing I said to her was, hey, I just wanted to tell you, you guys are doing a fantastic job. Like, this is amazing. There were so many cars in this drive through line, and it's moving quicker than I have ever seen a drive through line move. I know this isn't easy to coordinate. Thank you guys for being out here and braving the cold so that I can sit lazily in my car while you do it. I really appreciate that. And the first thing she said was, sir, we really need to keep you moving through the line. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. Chick-fil-A employees would never say something rude like that. What she said was, she chuckled at my line about how I was being lazy, and then she started to tear up a little bit. And she was like, hey, I just wanted to thank you for saying that. Uh, we just had two people come through the line that were mad about how long it was taking and were very, very rude to us, and it's made it a really rough day. So thank you for saying that. And what I realized in that moment is there was a reason the Spirit was prompting me to say something to this lady running the drive through line. And I'll just say this, uh, when you feel the Spirit prompting you to offer encouragement and life to somebody, it may not always go like that. They might be like, thanks, that was weird, and move on. <laughs> it may not always go perfectly like that, and you realize why he had you say that, but let me just tell you, if the Spirit prompts you to encourage somebody or speak life or hope into somebody, can I just tell you, always do it. Every single time, especially right now, there's enough discouragement out there. There's enough difficult stuff in the world. Can I just encourage you, if you ever feel like the Holy Spirit or any other force, you know, is telling you to encourage people, you should absolutely do it. And so these are just some examples from my life of, of times where it's so simple. It can be so basic. But just asking the question, noticing the things around us. I mean, part of this is, is getting off of our phone for long enough to see what's happening around us, Right? to notice the other human beings in regular proximity to us, but to just slow down, notice what God might be doing in the interactions around us, in the people around us, and then asking the question, how might I participate in this? That's a lot of what this is about. It's not complicated. You don't have to be like a level 1,000 spiritual person to do it. It's just asking the question, what is God doing, and how might I respond to it? Now, here's why I'm inclined to call all of this rest. Here's why I put this in a series about rest. Maybe it feels like it doesn't super fit in what we've been talking about, but here's why I call it rest. 
I was listening to a sermon uh, this past week from a pastor in Texas named Matt Chandler. A lot of you guys probably listened to him. Fantastic, just amazing, gifted pastor and teacher of the scriptures. And he just kept repeating this one line that I have not been able to get out of my head since he said it, especially as I put together this teaching. He said, you can't live for God without also living with God. You can't live for God without also living with God. I don't know about you, but I have found that to be so true in my life. I think a lot of us, I know a lot of times for me, I am exhausted because I am trying to live life for God, but not with him. And so we need to understand that in our relationship with God, God does not just say, hey, here, here's what life should look like, here are some rules, here's how I'm calling you to live, here's what I'm calling you to do, good luck with that. Instead, he says, here's what life looks like, now here, walk with me in it. Walk side by side with me and learn how to live into the reality of the kingdom of God. And it's by walking with him that we can live in this awareness of the presence of God. So practically speaking, one of the tools that Christians have used to, to learn to do all of this throughout the years is something called the prayer of examine. Some of you may have heard of this. Uh, this is the practice, the last practice in our practice guide that you can find online uh, for this series. But the prayer of examine originates with a guy named St. Ignatius of Loyola, which is an awesome name, right? Like, if ever you feel like you need to make your name sound a little more legitimate, just add of and a location to the end of it. Kent of Knoxville sounds a lot more official than just Kent. Just a free advice for you there. But St. Ignatius of Loyola invented the prayer of examine as a way of discerning and recognizing God's presence in all things. It's a way of regularly reviewing and processing through our day with the intention of asking the question, what was God up to in all of that? So if you go online to citychurchnox slash rest, you can find all the specifics of the prayer of examine, how to pray through it, how to put it into practice regularly in your life. I'm not going to go into all of those details today for you. But essentially, the prayer of examine is just a way of reviewing your day in prayer. So just to set aside, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes at the end of each day, ideally sometime in the evening, to just review your day in your mind and ask the question, where did I see God's presence today, and where might I have missed it? Where did I see God's presence, and where might I have missed it? But I will say, the, the hope is that by doing this prayer at the end of each day, and actually setting aside a section of time in order to do it, it the goal is that it helps you develop the ability to recognize these things more and more in the moment as they happen. So the goal of the prayer of examine is not just to do it every day. The goal of the prayer of examine is to help you develop the ability to see God's presence in things as they happen. To where maybe you less and less need to do it at the end of the day and you're more just doing it ongoingly throughout your day. So it's kind of like this. This is, a, this is a sports analogy. I know not everybody's into sports, but it was just the best example I could think of. So... Any football player or football team worth their salt spends a lot of time watching film, 
on a regular basis. They watch film of past games that they have played, and they sort of evaluate it. They'll, they'll watch certain plays, they'll pause them, they'll rewind them, they'll zoom out, they'll see what everybody was doing on the field. So think about it in terms of like a quarterback. A quarterback's trying to get better at his craft, and so what he does is he watches film of the past week's game. And what will happen is that, you know, maybe on a certain play, they pause it and they zoom out and they go, okay, so in this play, you threw it to this guy and that was great. That worked out for a few yards. But what I want you to see is that this guy right here was actually wide open and he could have scored a touchdown. And so this play in the future, I want you to keep watching for this guy, but I also, also want you to be even more aware of what this guy is doing because he might be wide open. And so the goal is that by watching this stuff, you're not just watching film and going, okay, cool, I'm a little bit smarter now. The goal is by watching this film, you're becoming more and more able to critically think about decisions in the moment of the game. So you're able to go, the next time they run that same play, you better believe that quarterback is not just going to be looking at this guy, he's going to be looking at this guy too. So... The best way I know how to describe the prayer of examine is that it's sort of like that. What you're doing at the end of the day through the prayer of examine is that you are, you're reviewing the tape. You're watching the tape in your mind of the past 24 hours and you're asking the question, okay, where was I aware of God's presence and where might I have missed it? And so the goal is that over time, as you pray that prayer at the end of the day, you develop the ability to think more critically in the moment and be aware of God's presence more in the moment. Does that make sense? Sports analogy at all. I tried to keep it basic. I would not be able to give you an advanced level football analogy at all, but I tried to keep it basic for you. So all of this is what we're doing through the prayer of examine. It's just a tool that someone has developed throughout church history that Christians have used for hundreds of years to help us become more and more aware of God's presence and activity throughout each day. So the last thing I want to mention before we're done and this is so important for us to realize uh, both for today's teaching and also just the entire series that we've been in, is that I want you to remember that none of these things, none of these practices, as helpful as they are, none of the practices in and of themselves generate lasting change. They might help, they might change in the moment, but most of them are not going to create lasting, Holy Spirit-directed change. Richard Foster, in his famous book on the disciplines called The Celebration of Discipline, he puts it like this. I think this is such a helpful framework. He says, we must always remember that the path does not produce the change. It only places us where the change can occur. It places us where the change can occur. So that is so important for us to remember for this series. Habits themselves do not make us more like Jesus. It's not that they're not helpful on their own. They just, in and of themselves, they are not going to transform our heart. Without the habits, it, it may not matter how genuine our love is. We simply have not created the space for him in our life to change us. But at the same time, without the Spirit of God moving... Our habits are just that. They are just habits. They will not change us on their own. So it, it may help to think of it like a bonfire. It's been real cold. Maybe some of us are starting some bonfires lately. So when you want to start a bonfire, what do you generally have to have first? Other than like a safe space to have a fire with bricks and stuff around it. What do you need first? Anybody? Yeah, you need kindling, right? 
So you need some type of kindling around where you want the fire. So old newspapers, if you have any of those, uh, real small twigs or scraps of wood, maybe some dryer lint. That's what we tend to use around our house. Dryer lint will light on fire very quickly. It also burns out very quickly. But you need kindling, right? You need kindling around the space where you want to start the fire. You need stuff that will easily and quickly catch on fire. Okay, the kindling in our lives with Jesus are the spiritual disciplines. They're habits, they're practices and disciplines that we set up in our lives to help us become more like Jesus. But here's the reality. You can put the best kindling in the world around a fire pit and you can sit there and stare at that kindling and it is not going to light itself on fire. That's just not how kindling works. To start a fire, you need what? You need a spark. You need a flame, right? You need something to actually light that stuff on fire. That spark, spiritually speaking, is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who comes along and offers the flame. I I don't think it's any coincidence that the Bible often uses the terminology of fire to talk about the Holy Spirit. Our Pentecostal brothers and sisters talk about Holy Spirit fire often and for good reason. That imagery is spot on from the scriptures. The Holy Spirit is who gives life and vitality to our practices. He is the one that breathes on them and makes them fruitful and effective. So here's where I'll close both this teaching and this entire series. While focusing on creating space and setting up habits in our lives for six weeks is a wonderful thing for us to do. Obviously, we believe that. That's why we did the series. I need you to understand that those habits alone will not create in you a passion for Jesus or a restful heart. For that, we need the Spirit to come along and breathe life onto it and light that spark and begin the fire in our hearts that sets our mind and attention on Jesus. So what I'd love for us to do today as we close everything out is just to pray that the Spirit would do that in our midst. So if you will, bow your head, close your eyes. If you need to put your stuff away, I'd love to just have us pray together for a moment. If you can and you don't mind, maybe even just take your phone, silence it, set it aside, put it somewhere where it's not going to interrupt you for a moment. I'd love for us to just ask that the Holy Spirit um, would ignite everything that we've been talking about, everything that we've been putting into practice throughout this series So feel free to to pray as I pray, whatever you want to do, silent, out loud, it doesn't matter. Just, we could just take a second and just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and meet with us? God, every habit that we put into practice, every practical thing we do in our life, every prayer that we pray, every every discipline we've put into place with our phones and and with our schedules and everything else. 
God, we confess that all of those things are great, but they will not create in us a passion for you. They will not create in and of themselves a relationship with you. God, in order for that to happen, we need two things. We need your saving work through Jesus on the cross, making that relationship possible, atoning for our sin, making us right with you, and then we need the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. So God, our prayer is that you would come and you would meet with us and that you would breathe life into these practices. That they wouldn't just be um, small tweaks that we've made to our life and our schedule and our habits. But they would be things that you would work in and through to, to ignite a passion and a desire for you and your activity and your presence. God, those things are things that we are incapable of doing by our effort. So God, would you come? Would you meet with us? God, would you help us open our eyes to the things of God? Would you help us to be aware of the things that you're doing and the people and the situations and the circumstances around us? And I think about that prayer from Paul where he says, I pray that you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened. So God, would you, would you enlighten us? Would you give us the ability to see? I think about all the times in the Gospels where Jesus gave a blind man the ability to see. Jesus gave people who were deaf the ability to hear. And God, in a spiritual sense, I think that's some of what you want to do today is you want to give all of us the ability to hear and see the things that are happening at all times all around us. God, your presence is in everything. It's in every situation. It's constantly before us. And we just pray that you give us the ability to see it. So God, would you begin that in us now? Would you continue that in us now? Maybe for the first time this morning, you want to give somebody a relationship with you that affords them the ability to do that. And God, to all of that, we say, come and work in our midst. It's our prayer. It's in your name.